Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Thank you for joining us today for worship once again. And of course, as I came in today, uh, my heart was saddened that uh, we cannot be together, cannot see your faces and enjoy uh, the fellowship uh, with you. But we really do appreciate all of you taking time to worship with us, to share in the music and the scripture and the prayers. And we're going to spend a little time in God's word now and we continue to worship as we read God's word and consider it together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we do pray once again as we open your word that our hearts will be open to your word. We might hear your words and it might impact how we live. And so we ask your blessing and your presence with us now in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. So about three years ago, we took our, I took my third trip to Israel. Um, many of you are watching this, remember, because we had a large group from our church uh, that went. And uh, this is, like I say, my third trip. And I really enjoy, of course, the opportunity to travel to the Holy Land, to Israel. And one of the places, of course, that's a big part of your uh, tour there is the area of Galilee. Galilee up north is the area, of course, where our Lord Jesus Christ grew up where he lived, and where almost all of his public ministry took place, except for the trips down to Jerusalem. And uh, those three three years of his public ministry were almost all in Galilee. And of course, the feature, the significant feature, one of the significant features is the Sea of Galilee, which of course is a very large lake. The Sea of Galilee, where the fishermen, uh, the disciples, the Matthew, the tax collector, where all the people involved in, the, in those stories we're all from this area. They worked, they lived there. It was a busy area with people coming and going, a lot of commerce. Uh, fishing was a, was a very good business. It was, these were businessmen, and they ran these businesses, and uh, was and they made a good income off it. This is the area that uh, we go today, and it's much quieter. There are, there are cities like Tiberias and so forth you go visit. Uh, it's much quieter, uh, but you get to go to Capernaum and the various places. And I love visiting Galilee. So I wanted to show you a couple of pictures uh, today to just kind of set the scene for the uh, historical account we're going to look at from the book of Matthew today. This picture here of uh, the Sea of Galilee is really, really kind of speaks to me of, of what I remember the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the, the coastline, uh, the beautiful, uh, well, usually beautiful weather, the calmness, uh, tranquility, it's really a very beautiful spot and a very lovely place and very relaxing. One of the things you do there is you always take a, a trip on one of the tour boats. And these go out on the lake and you get to go quite a ways out. Uh, it's quite a ways across this lake, maybe about six miles or so. And you go out to the lake and you go slowly around. You get to sing songs and uh, have devotions and just spend time uh, really imagining being on the same lake that Jesus and his disciples were actually on. One of the uh, members of our tour group uh, felt that the lake needed a little more decorum that day, so they asked the deckhand if they could run this up the flagpole, and I'm sure that's probably the first and last time that has happened. One of the things they have discovered in recent times, really, is the what some people refer to as the Jesus boat. And this is a uh, re the remains, it almost looks kind of like a skeletal remains of a boat, if you will. You can see on the one side just the wooden 
uh, remains there. They're very carefully removed and preserved. But based on that, they were able to put together a replica of a typical fishing boat from the first century, the time of the disciples and of Jesus. And you can see the size of that boat. And there were 13 of them, Jesus plus the 12 disciples in this boat oftentimes. And uh, this is what they would use to fish, to lay their nets, to pull the nets in uh, along the Sea of Galilee. And along this shore uh, picture, uh, along the side of the sea, you can see the nets stretched across there. And again, you get a little feel for uh, the beauty of the area and the life that these fishermen and the Lord had. This, this picture really kind of reflects to me my uh, recollection of Galilee. Calm. This is a, uh, obviously a, um, a sunrise a looking east. And uh, it's a calm, a beautiful, tranquil place to be. However, we know from the Gospels as well that storms could come up quickly. And this is true. It's hard for me to, to connect with this, to relate to this, because I've never seen this and I just can't imagine it. But those who are in the middle of these storms tell you it still happens today, that a storm can come up uh, on a moment's notice, if you will, because of the landscape and the geography of the Sea of Galilee, these storms can come up and they can be very dangerous if you're out in the middle of the lake in a smaller boat. Uh, and, and we know this is the case. And so we go back to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 14. And uh, this account is going to take place uh, along the Sea of Galilee and on the sea. And the chapter begins with the uh, to- story of the brutal slaying of John the Baptist and the, the terrible, terrible death he suffered. And as that news comes to Jesus, it says at the end of verse 12, they went and told Jesus about this. And when Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And his intention, we're going to see, is that Jesus wants to get away, to be by himself, to, to pray. And, and, to, and this is a very, uh, this is difficult news to hear about John the Baptist. He knows the, the terrible death he is going to suffer in a few years as well. And so he wants to, to get, get away from the crowds and from everybody. But of course, as this happens, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And as the evening came, the disciples said, send the crowds away. It's, it's getting late and they're hungry. And of course, Jesus says, what do you have to eat? And they gather this small lunch and we have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It says 5,000 uh, besides women and children at the end of the story. We don't know exactly how many, but obviously a very large crowd. And Jesus feeds this large crowd with this lunch. And, uh, you know, remember the disciples were part of this. They, they handled the baskets. They passed them around. They watched this miracle happen. And every time the basket came back, it was full. And everybody had eaten all they wanted. And they gathered the baskets afterward. And they were still full. And they participated and they saw this miracle. And when this miracle was over... In our account today, I want us to look at in verse 22 of chapter 14 of Matthew. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he has dismissed them, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. The language here is really pretty abrupt and strong. 
Immediately, he sent the disciples away. He, he told them, leave. He urged them, you go now. And, and they were to get in a boat and to go across on the lake and, and to another location. He would, he would meet them there. But he says, you leave. And then he sends the crowd away as well because he has this intense desire to, to pray, to spend time in, in prayer with the Father. This is an encouragement to us. Jesus, fully God and fully man, and yet this not only need but desire to pray to God and to do so by himself. And he spent hours in prayer. And he had to get away from the crowds. He had to do this at night. The only time he could find this solace to do this. And Jesus communed with God. This is still on the heels of hearing this news of John the Baptist. And he prayed and he prayed to the Lord. So the disciples went away, as they were told, in the boat. They got in the boat and they headed out across the Sea of Galilee. And it may have started out very calm, very relaxing, very tranquil, a very safe journey to where they were going. And it says, though, in the middle of this verse 23, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. They might have been out halfway across this lake. And the, the word here for buffeted in the NIV, so it could be the word also tormented. This is a strong word. This is a serious storm. These are, these are seasoned fishermen. They're used to this lake. But this is a very dangerous, a life-threatening situation. It tormented them. This might have been, and during. <clears throat> we're going to see this is during the fourth watch of the night. So this would be between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. So they're out there in the dark before dawn. And this tormenting wind comes and the waves are rolling. And the, and the, and the sea is boiling and the storm is fierce. And they're out there on this boat. And it's a dangerous situation, even for these fishermen. And then it says, verse uh, 25, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. I don't know what that, what picture that conjures up in your mind. Uh, some of the pictures I've seen, is, you know, it's a very calm, maybe rolling water and, and Jesus walking across it. But remember, this is a storm. The waves are rolling. And somehow in this rolling, boiling sea, Somehow he is walking across the sea. It doesn't say he's walking above it. He is walking on it. Obviously a miracle. Something that completely defies all the laws of nature. I wonder what it looked like. Because these men are in the boat. And this boat is being tossed by the wind and the waves. And they see Jesus coming across the lake, walking on the water in this storm with these rolling waves. And so, but it says here, as this happened... When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They were terrified. Uh, the idea here is that um, you know they were going. You would want to go in two different ways. You'd want to. You want to. You want to leave. They were terrified, and they cried out, "It's a ghost!" And they cried out in fear. It's interesting in the Old Testament, the word that's used here for ghost oftentimes has the word deception. And I wonder what was going through their mind. Is this demonic? What's going on here? You know, they were tormented by the waves. 
here's a, a figure, a, a, a ghost possibly, something coming across the water toward them. If they didn't have enough to be afraid of already, now they see this, this, this figure, this ghost-like figure walking toward them, and they're terrified, and they're afraid. But it says in verse 27, but Jesus, but Jesus immediately, once again, that word immediately, it's this urgency. It's a strong word. Immediately, he said to them, take courage, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. And they hear the, they hear the voice of their Lord, but they're still seeing this figure walking across this storm-tossed lake. And other boat is being tossed as well. But they hear that voice that they recognize. Take courage. Don't be afraid. It's I. It is I. In fact, in the original language, what it really says here is, uh, I am. And we know as all the pieces come together after the resurrection that we celebrated last Sunday for Easter, and all these pieces came together of, of what Jesus talked to them, we know that this phrase, I am, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have known it so much at this point, but we know that that phrase, I am, eventually spoke of his divinity. We studied the I am statements of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, this last year in church. And, and that's what it literally says. Jesus said, I am. It is me. I am. Don't be afraid. So in verse 28, Peter speaks up. Now, I, I have a little different slant on Peter. Some people uh, like to stereotype Peter and just say that he's always just, you know, impetuous and doing it. But, you know, I'm, I'll have to give him credit here. He, he is the one who speaks up and he is the one willing to engage with this. And, and Peter says to him, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come out on the water. Tell me to come out on the water. Now, in what way was Peter saying this? We don't have the body language. We don't have all the intonation of, uh, you know, his face, his, his tone and everything else. What is he saying here? Is it is it is it a is it a challenge? Is it sarcastic? Is it you know genuine? What is it? Well, some of the commentators, one of the commentators in particularly, said you know based on the the, the Greek language here, and actually several mentioned this, it might be better translated since it is you, and and this is a very fair translation. This since it is you, please enable me to do this same thing that you are doing, since it is you. Ask me to come out and do this. Remember, back in chapter 10, verses, in verses 1 to 8, we had the account of Jesus sending these same disciples out to do miracles. He said, including raise the dead. He sends them out to do miracles. And they went out and they participated in miracles. These fishermen and tax collector and this sort from Galilee. So they have been involved in miracles themselves. And, and I think it's, I think when, when Peter says this, it's genuine. Lord, since it's you, tell me to come out. Maybe he'd rather be with Jesus than in the boat during a storm like this that's life-threatening. This was good news. This was his voice. Tell me to come. And so the Lord Jesus Christ uh, says to him, come. Come on, Peter. You can come. And remember, the storm is still raging. The waves are still boiling. The wind is still blowing. It's tormenting them. But Peter is the only one to get out of the boat and go toward Jesus. And it says, Then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water 
and he came toward Jesus. Again, you know, what picture does this conjure up in your mind? What does it mean to walk on the water in this storm with the waves rolling? It doesn't say he walked above the water. He is walking on the water. I mean, think of that. He's in the storm. He's walking toward Jesus. I, his eyes are just fixed on Jesus and, and looking right at him. And he's walking right toward Jesus. And he is. He's walking on the water. What an amazing experience. What an amazing miracle. I wonder what the other 11 thought as they watched Peter walk on that water while the boat is still tossing and being tormented. Come, Peter. And he did. But then in verse 30, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. The idea here is, the word really can conjure up the idea of doubt. All of a sudden, he, he doubted. You notice what it was? He, it didn't say that he saw the, saw the waves, but all of a sudden, he realized what was going on around him in a new way. He all of a sudden, he took his eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ, and he looked at the wind around him and realized where he was and realized how frightening a situation this was, even with the Lord Jesus standing right in front of him. And he began to sink. And I don't think, I mean, you know, sometimes you might think, well, he just kind of starts slowly going down. But the, the word here is the idea for sunk, drown. I think he went down. As soon as he took his eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ, he went down. And he's probably flailing in the water. And the Lord is right in front of him. He is going to drown if something doesn't happen. He is in a storm. He took his eyes off the Lord. He looked at the wind and he's drowning. He's going to drown. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, he, and he cries out, Lord. And it is, it is, it's, a, it's the word for Lord. Um, and he, Not rabbi, not teacher, but Lord. He says, Lord, save me. And immediately, there's that word again, immediately, urgently, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He is sinking. He is going to drown. He reached out his hand and he caught him. And he, and he brings Peter back up. And the Lord Jesus Christ says to him, You of little faith, he said, Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, after they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, the other disciples. They worshipped him. And they said for the first time, truly you are the Son of God. What did they really understand of that concept? What did they really understand about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ? They couldn't understand it all now. But they did say, truly, after watching this, the walk on water toward them and to watch what Peter did and to watch them bring Peter up and the storm to stop. It's when the storm stopped, that's when they said, truly, you are the Son of God, that even the wind and the, and the waves obey you. You are the Son of God. You know, it's interesting that uh, when Jesus spoke to Peter, and in the Aramaic language, it's akin to the Hebrew, lama, lama, why? Peter, why did you doubt? You notice he didn't say, Peter, 
what caused you to doubt? That was obvious. There was plenty of reason to doubt. He's in a storm. He is walking on these rolling waves. It's dangerous. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, what caused you to die? He says, Peter, why? Lema, why did you doubt? And then he says, oh, you of little faith. He didn't say, oh, you of no faith. He just said, Peter, you of little faith. And this may have been addressed to, to all the disciples. Oh, oh, ye of little faith. Why did you doubt? There's no answer given. Peter doesn't give an answer. The Lord doesn't carry on the discussion. And in fact, we see the kindness and graciousness of our Lord that when Peter cried out, save me, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, he didn't sit there and look at him sternly and say, why did you doubt, Peter? Now look at, no, he reached out and he saved him immediately. He loved these men. He loved them to the end, we read in John. We said, Peter, why did, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And I think given the context of the story, the obvious answer is he took his eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. As long as he was focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, he was walking on water. But as soon as he all of a sudden realized what was going on around him, took his eyes off the Lord and put his eyes on the raging storm around him, that's when he began to sink. That was why. That was why. That was obviously the reason why. Not what happened. The Lord says, Peter, why did you doubt? What did you learn from this? What did you learn from this account? And then it finally says, verse 34, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And once again, people brought all their sick to him, begged him to let the sick touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. The Lord still would like some quiet time, some time with his disciples, some time to pray. But immediately the crowds are there and he allows them and he heals them. They touch his garments and they are healed. The Lord loved people and he came to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We know he told his disciples, look at the fields. The harvests are white. The laborers are few. There was much to be done. And Jesus was willing to expend his life and ultimately give his life for those people and for you and for me. Peter, why did you doubt? You know, it's interesting as we think of Peter, think of the disciple Peter, and we think uh, 30, 30 years later, the apostle Peter, as he writes his epistle, and Peter writes this. He's an older man now. Uh, he is going to be uh, martyred and, and brutally murdered himself for his faith and his service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then he goes on to say this to these people. Peter saw him. Peter walked on water with him. 
Peter saw him resurrected. But he tells the people reading this epistle, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Think of all his experiences that Peter had and how his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ grew and strengthened. Peter, why did, why did you doubt? And he learned from that. And he learned the importance of fixing his eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, the author to the book of Hebrews, whoever it was that wrote that letter, in chapter 12, after reviewing all these heroes of the faith, men and women from the Old Testament, and he reviews these wonderful stories of faith, in chapter 12, he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. And in this verse here, I want to leave with you today. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I thought that phrase goes so well with our lesson from Matthew. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. You know, John Ortberg wrote a book um, that, uh, you know, got it, to get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat, the book he wrote. And you know, Peter was willing to get out of the boat and he walked on water. He experienced it. And you know, some of the things we're going through today as uh, with, the, with the, the COVID virus and the people being shut in, not being able to work, we're not being able to worship. Uh, we're in an experience that uh, who would have ever thought? We were in a storm and we continue to pray and we should pray daily for God's healing and God's God's care and that this and this would be removed. So many people are suffering. Life has changed in so many ways. We can't even get together. The church is empty. There's just two of us here today. The church is empty. But the church is full where it is. The church is the church, as we've been telling you each week. And we wanted to do a few lessons uh, from Scripture for the next few weeks on on help in challenging times. These are different times. These are challenging times. And I think of the title of that book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. We've all been forced out of the boat. We've all been forced out of the boat. We would never have expected this. And yet, as we've said, we will probably never be the same. And what we will learn from this. What did Peter learn from that experience? What did Peter learn from that experience? Peter, why did you doubt and he learned to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. He learned to love him more. And as all the apostles and the disciples, as, called Paul, as Paul is called by God to go to the Gentile world and take that message of the mercy and grace and love of God, these individuals who learn through their experiences and learn through their hardships and learn through their challenges, but saw God at work. And God is at work today. And I just want to encourage you, what are, what, are you, what are you doing? What am I doing? What is your family doing? To keep your eyes during these turbulent times, these different times, these challenging times, 
What are we doing to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, we know the things that, 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 that we can do to accomplish this, to worship, to pray, to stay in his word, to fellowship, even in these different ways. You can still call people. You can still write notes. You can even do, of course, the Zoom meetings and the face-to-face over the internet. We're doing what we can, and we can still share the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends and neighbors and family. What are you doing? What am I doing to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ? I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you. If some of you want to write to us at church here and then tell us what are some things you're finding uh, that are helping you keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be great to share some of these ideas. What are you learning through this? Uh, we're out of the boat. We're all out of the boat now. And um, we didn't want to be, but we are. And what are we learning? Are we learning to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? Have we all learned what it means to take our eyes off and all of a sudden look at the winds and the storm around us? And remember to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this service today. And let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. And even as we share in this worship time, uh, Lord, if there's anybody uh, watching this service today who does not have Jesus Christ as their Savior, we pray you would open their heart to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this same Jesus we've been looking at today in this account from Matthew went to the cross of Calvary died and suffered God's punishment for sin that we could not suffer. We could not suffer that way because he was holy and he carried our punishment on the cross of Calvary. He rose from the dead and he has asked us to simply accept by faith his payment for our sins and receive eternal life and forgiveness for sins. And I pray God, if anybody's watching this today and has not made that decision, they would do so even this day. I would pray, Lord, for your family, for those who know you as Savior, that, Father, uh, that this day we would learn a little bit more than we learned even yesterday to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful way to live and what a great way to go through times of challenge and to learn and grow with our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.